podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Hi everyone, JD here. Now, what's the best thing to come out of Belgium? Christian Benteke, obviously. Michi Batshuayi? Hmm, we might need to reevaluate that. Anyway, the answer I was looking for is Belgian beer. And our friends at Beer52 are offering FYP listeners a chance to have a free case of eight Belgian beers, just having to cover the £5.95 for postage. We can't go anywhere in the world right now, so why not bring Belgium to you with this great offer? All you have to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash FYP, cover the 5 95 for postage and Beer52 will deliver eight free beers straight to your door. And then, unlike a cellist, you'll be able to drink beer inside of the pitch during the next game. Sort of. Beer52 is a monthly beer club where they collect the best beer from around the world and deliver it to your door with monthly themes. This month is Belgium, where you can discover incredible beers like Steenberg's 6.5% Blonde, Brewerge Lecker's Belgian IPA and Avan's Double. I, I assume that those are beers and not Belgian players that Palace have been linked with recently. And like the option to watch Palace with crowd noise or Ray Lewington noise, the choice is yours. If you don't like the dark beer, choose the light option. It's that easy. Each case also comes with the award-winning beer magazine Ferment as well as a tasty snack to enjoy with your beer. And like Steve Koppel when he went to Man City in 1996, you can change your mind and cancel at any time. There's no minimum commitment and you can just take the free case, try the beers and see what you think. Just go to www.beer52.com forward slash FYP to claim your free case of eight craft beers now. That's the word beer and 52.com forward slash FYP. Right, on the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Five Year Plan Podcast. Hey. Pod three seven five, and on this week's pod, we're reviewing that one 0 win over West Brom, which basically touch wood. Oh, my wood desk isn't wooden. Um, anyway, basically keeps Palace up. Hopefully, uh, and to do that on the pod, I've got Kevin Day. Hello to you. Hello. How you doing? I'm all right, thank you. How are you? Good. No one ever asks how you are. They, well, you're the only person ever asked that. You're the only one who really cares, I think. No, I, I ask. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. Um, Jack Pierce, hello to you. How are you doing? Hello, thank you. Yes. Um, very pleased with the result on Saturday, but I have to say the uh, period of between three and five when I was clearing out my mother-in-law's garage was actually more fun than watching Palace on Saturday. But I'm here. Let's talk about it. 
Good, yeah. I mean, rather that than an analysis of clearing out your, your mother-in-law's garage. Um, and let's... <laughs> sounds really filthy. Um, and, and our guest this week, debuting on the podcast, is one of our patrons. Uh, he's an absolute legend and uh, regular of the patron quiz uh, and a very nice guy indeed. It's Mr. Matt Buckland. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. How are you doing? I am not too bad, thank you. Not too bad. I had the COVID jab yesterday, so I'm feeling a little under the weather. But generally speaking, I'm okay. Things are things are looking up. Right. Well, I mean, after watching that Palace West Rom game, we're all a bit under the weather, Matt. So we know <laughs> we know how you feel. It's lovely to see you. And um, for the benefit of the listeners, he's wearing FYP merchandise and drinking out of an FYP mug as well. All available. If you join our patron, that's absolutely seamless for me, um, at patreon.com forward slash FYP podcast, uh, like Matt, and this is the reward, he's in the top tier, and one of the rewards is uh, joining a live podcast. You also get post-match pod merchandise like Matt's wearing, and access to the patron-only WhatsApp club, which uh, Matt will attest to. Um, gets very busy on match days, doesn't it? Yes. Um, I also love the fact that you're describing all of this merch when our users won't actually see what I'm wearing or what I'm drinking <laughs> out of. But um, yes, especially the, the the WhatsApp club in itself is is worth it. Um, the the sheer amount of different differing opinions on there um, is staggering. Um, but it's fantastic. It gives you it gives you proper insight into um, every like, different fans' mentalities uh, when it comes to uh, when it comes to the games itself. And also, um, there's always a laugh in there when we kind of stick the stick the knife into you, JD. So it always it's good. It's a good balance. Yeah, like, like podcasts, like WhatsApp group. I just literally can't get away from it. Um, and before we move on to uh, reviewing that West Brom game, a quick shout out to our Race Europe page. So Kevin, we're still. I say we as in not you but me, Andy, Robin, uh, Rich and Mike are still running and cycling to raise money for Palace for Life Foundation for Race Europe. Do you want to hazard a guess as to virtually where we've got to in Europe now? Crawley. <laughs> we're, we're just outside Crawley. Like we've, we've reached Bilbao. Oh, so, that's nice. So we've, got, we've done, we've, I think we've done Copenhagen and, and Germany and we're now down to Spain. So um, not what far route, to go. Uh, what route are you going? Um, the scenic route. Oh, okay. I think. Um, but anyway, oh. we would love donations uh, from you at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash FYP hyphen race hyphen Europe. JD, after, after last week's uh, stop off in Amsterdam, I presume you would still be in Amsterdam. So congratulations <laughs> on moving out. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. I'm also, I'm doing the least amount of anyone. Turns out cycling, you can get a lot further than my little 5Ks. But do you know what? It all counts. And any money raised will go towards uh, supporting the Palace Fala Foundation. They'll be very much appreciated. Appreciated. Um, let's move on then, Kevin, to reviewing that 1-0 win over West Brom. It felt a little bit, I'm sure we'll come on to the uh, the entertainment that was slash wasn't on show. It felt a little bit like a Roy Hodgson of old performance, quite resolute, a Luca penalty that we haven't seen uh, for quite a long time, and a win that pretty much keeps us safe. What was your uh, What were your thoughts on the game? Well, I think quite resolute is just about the nicest thing you could possibly say about it, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, quite resolute, great, dismal, dull, shocking, but three. But I, I think it says a lot that we got two yellow cards in the last 90 seconds for time-wasting against a team that scored fewer goals than everybody else but two clubs in the Premier League. I think it says a lot that the only two candidates for man of the match were two centre-backs. Yeah. We've said it how many times this season? Take the three points, forget the 
performance move on. There was one the cat now thinks I'm some kind of god because at least halfway through the second half, I was able to predict to her that it was going to start raining over our house in about two minutes. And it and it did because mm. I know how long it takes weather to get from Sellers Park to my house. So I was, the cat just thinks I'm a jit, but that literally was the only entertaining part of the, of the game. There was one brilliant. There was one brilliant move just before we scored. It's like an eight-man ten-pass move that obviously the instructions got on the pitch to stop doing that sort of fancy down stuff. <laughs> Also proves that Roy Hodgson's not psychic because I spent the entire game saying swap Ayu for Eze. Just swap Ayu in Eze's position. Something might happen and he didn't. So clearly he has no psychic powers. But I, it's just, we've said it just about every time we win on this pod. The points are more important than the performance. We're safe now. Let's hope that something happens exciting in the next few games. Surely if you've got the psychic abilities there, Kevin, then if you'd have just thought about IU and SA switching, they would have somehow connected and done it themselves. No, no, I've got them. Clearly, they neither Roy Hodgson nor those two have. What a shame. To be fair, they were probably quite busy at the time. Not that busy, <laughs> to be fair. IU <laughs> certainly wasn't that busy for the 90 minutes. But it just it just occurred to me about five minutes. I thought that would solve so many problems. You'd still be defensively solid. But SA so desperately wants to come in the middle and be a number 10. If you're playing somebody behind Benteke, make it SA and let... Are you do his hard work out on the flank where he can be defensive and everyone sees it? It's just, but beyond that, I mean, it was it's just it was what we expected, wasn't it? But we're safe, happy well, days. And well, this is the thing, Matt, as well. Like, and you know, we debate on this podcast a lot about the style of play, and, and uh, you know, there are parallels from the Fulham game a few weeks ago, which was obviously pretty turgid viewing and a draw. Although in hindsight, we look at Fulham's form, maybe not such a bad result. Um, but does it really matter when Palace? And actually, I said it. Felt like an old Roy Hodgson performance. Actually, felt like an old Allardyce, Allardyce, uh, Allardyce performance from when he was here. Because we got the three points. So, does it really matter that the football is particularly bad when you've got those three points and essentially now are safe? Um, yes and no. Um, ultimately, another three points on the table is going to is is what we're there for. You know, that's that's what Roy's there for. Roy's there to come in, get us the three points, and then. And whatever happens from that, like that's that's the goal of the game. The goal of the game is to win. Obviously, sounds stupid to say, but that's ultimately the. So it doesn't necessarily matter how we do that. Um, but that being said, we're playing a team such as West Brom, who historically have not been very good um, throughout this year. Yes, they've tightened up under Allardyce, and yes, they're a little more structured now, and they've kind of starting to kind of do what he wants them to do. Um, but at the same time. If you, if you compare if you compare where we are on the table and us as um, as two separate sides, you would think going into that we would be more aggressive. We would be going at them. We would be testing them. We would be trying to figure out. We would be we would be trying to break them down. That, that that if you look at that on paper, that's what. It's. Now all of us know that from what we've seen over the past couple of weeks in particular, there's been a shift change in kind of what we wanted to do. Um, I think Cahill mentioned it a couple of um, post-match positive. I think possibly against the Man United game, I think. I Correct me if I'm wrong with that one. But he said that they've gone back to basics with this sort of side. And this is exactly what it feels like at the moment. It feels like Roy has flipped it on his head and go, right, we need to get back to basics. We need to stop conceding as many goals as we possibly can. Yeah. We need to time it up and then maybe hit them on the break and take advantage of the opportunities that we have. The only problem with that is... When we don't have Wilf on the pitch, we don't have that 
outlet and we don't have that pace to kind of take um, 30, 40 yards up the pitch. There's a couple of occasions on um, the game of the weekend where you saw IU and you saw Wilf do that. Um, one, one kind of thing springs into mind where Wilf collected the ball, has three players around him, um, has a really, really fancy footwork and managed to get out of it. And then he let, uh, the thing was let PVA go down the wing. Um, that's, that's what we've been missing. So now that we've got Wilf back, we may see a, we may see a slight change kind of more into the more exciting sort of thing because we have that sort of player in our side. I think for the past four weeks in particular, it's been back to basics. There is the whole kind of um, the wolf thing is hang, is hanging over us, no matter what we do, um, because quite frankly, he's our best player. Um, and until until we, until we get some players in to kind of complement what Wolf does, where they're mainly in central midfield because we're in dire need of somebody creative in there. We've said it so many times, and it's a broken record. Um, and even Gary Neville said it. Um, a while ago, we need a Kabai style player. Yeah. We need somebody like that in our side. Someone with a bit of steel about them. Someone who is going to be able to have a little bit of a nasty streak by them, but then ping those balls and be that be that player, be that playmaker who's going to do that. Whilst we don't have that at the moment, I think this is what we're going to be um, until the end of the season. We're going to be this style of player. We're going to be the the Hodgson or Allardyce style thing until the end. Until until we are, we are mathematically safe because. We know what Roy's like. like. We've we've had Roy for three seasons now, um, and we know we know what to expect. Um, and if it follows type, as soon as we're mathematically safe, all bets are off. Then all of a sudden we start playing more expansive football, and then it doesn't really matter as to kind of what happens um, during their games. Is it'll be a little bit more entertainment uh, for the fans. And I think that's what we're missing at the moment. Yeah, um, that's a really good point there, Jack. Actually, about the defence because we have moaned on this pod a lot about uh, the fact that we're supposed to be a resolute defensive side and we've let in a lot of goals. And actually that is now three clean sheets in the last four games, I believe. And as Kevin alluded to, that centre-back partnership with Cahill and Kiate, yeah, finally it feels like we're getting a bit of consistency there. I know it's game week 29 or 28, so it's taken us a while to get there. But that is definitely a positive to take, even if it does mean that we are going back to basics. And I think I might name this week's pod going back to basics. Um <laughs> But, I mean, that is a positive to take, isn't it, surely? Yeah, we we were, you know, pretty well set throughout the whole game. There weren't really any moments where they, they cut through us. I thought the keeper played really well. I thought he was very um, proactive in how he managed his box. I don't think there were many opportunities where there was much hesitancy other than one um, where Coyote seems to you know, dally on the ball a little bit and then does really well to to kind of cover up his own mistake. Um, but, yeah, it, I mean, it always helps to have a, a set back four. And, um, you know, we, we've talked previously about PVA not being especially the best defender, but he's done OK in the last few games. I don't think there's been any moment where he's been uh, particularly uh, out of place or or at fault for any particular opportunity for the op- opponent. So um, that, that's good because I think a lot of people obviously would prefer to see Tyree Mitchell. We can't at the moment due to injury. So PVA is doing his bit. Uh, but yeah, having a you know a set middle three, two centre-backs and a goalkeeper that know each other, um, as well as those three are appearing to know each other at the moment, is a real positive. I thought Cahill, again, was, was probably our best player on the pitch, to be honest. I thought he was he was exceptional, really led well, did everything he needs to, but, you know, he's seen it all before. He's you know, He's got the experience behind him, and yeah, for a man who is of his age, he, he you know, he might not be as fast as he used to be, but he, he does still read the game really well, and um, I, I thought we were we were defensively very sound. I thought Luca played very well just in front of them. Um, 
you know, again, in, he's running in a decent run of form. You know, a fault for Spurs' his first goal the week before last, but other than that, he's had um, a, you know a good month or so of, of football, and obviously the goal capped off that performance. So yeah, I thought we all, we were in a, a good shape, but yeah, I mean, as the as the two guys have mentioned. It wasn't the most inspiring performance going forward, but I think a lot of the fans' feeling about that is based on, again, you know, sorry for listeners who are hearing this for the thousandth time, but you know, us not being there does make a huge difference in terms of how we reflect on a game, and you know, that was no worse than us, you know, beating Watford a few years ago without having a shot on target where Troy Deeney scored an own yeah. goal, um, but it felt different because we weren't there able to celebrate and enjoy it as, as we would do, and it does feel different when you can just turn the TV off after the game. Um, but that all said. It is three valuable points. 37 points has been enough to stay up in six of our seven full seasons in the Premier League. I fully expect it to be the same this time. But with you know nine games to go, we, we should add to that total and be more than comfortable come come the end of the campaign. Can I just point out, JD, that to some of us, Gary Cahill is a kid. <laughs> fine, fine young man. And also, yeah, three clean sheets is great, but two of those clean sheets were against the teams 18th and 19th in the in the Premier yeah, League. True, true. They're the least you'd expect against opposition yeah, like that yeah. at home. And I, I yeah. know at home is different in these days, yada yada. And also, in terms of going forward, our only real opportunity in the second half came when Gaeta launched it long, Benteke headed it to himself <laughs> to have a shot. So the, the, the word positive, you know, both the clean sheet and going forward is. It's kind of loosely used because the only positive was the three points, basically. Yeah. And, yeah. and again, that's as, as Matt said, that's Roy Hodgson's job is to get us three points. This would be the worst of all seasons. The, the financial hit that football's taken, this would be the worst mm. of all seasons to go down. We're not going to go down. I don't think we'll change our football regardless of how many points we've got in the next couple of games. And we just have to accept that's what it is. I'm, I'm not entirely sure we would have all been celebrating that yet if we were all in Tellers Park. I'd have slinked away slightly uncomfortably, I think, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. But it, it's also this, it, it indicates as well the negative view of us. In the, we're in that little gaggle of teams like Leeds, Walls, and Arsenal Palace have been sort of lumped together for quite a few weeks. And, and But nobody said after Leeds got a point against Chill, nobody said, oh, that's the point Leeds needed to see them safe. Nobody said Arsenal need a win against Spurs to see them safe. The whole narrative from everybody, BBC, Sky, TalkSport, is, oh, Palace might be safe now. Because they think that's 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 what we are. Of all, out of those four teams, even though we've been above Wolves and Leeds for quite some time in the, in the, in the table, and now it's all about Palace staying up. And that's that's something we need to change as much as anything else. But, that, uh, but, yeah. that's, but that's all it is. That's our story. Have we got enough points to stay up? Yes, we have. Now, is it going to change? No, it's not. That's a fair point. That's a very fair point. That, I, th- I think that narrative will remain probably for, for... I don't even know how that changes because, to be honest, that, that's an outside perspective. Like, mm. very, all very well inside us going, we're ready for top 10 or whatever. But that, to me, feels like something that... Uh, that's how other clubs see us. And until Palace are starting to make 30, 40 million pound signings on the regular, like like Leicester, for example, or until we're bankrolled by an oligarch. I don't know how that changes, but it's, but it's a really, really fair point. And I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. But really, you're all right. The Staying up is still the main objective. And I do think on Saturday, had I come away from that game, I, I certainly wouldn't have come away feeling like ma- massively entertained, but I'd probably come away feeling a sense of relief at the fact that we had hit 37 yeah. points. There'd be, there'd be a lot of really take that Allardyce, obviously, in there to add to the yeah. pantomime, uh, which I think we'd all have, in, have enjoyed. But um, 
I think we'd have gone back to the Porsons and had a few pints, moaned about it, and then probably moved on. But as Jack says, it's, it's a different experience at the moment watching football. It's a very different yeah. viewing experience. And hopefully with the news that um, the season tickets, which we'll come on to in part three, and potentially even some of us getting into the penultimate game of the season, then we might be able to get back to some sort of normality. Um, Matt, let's talk about a little bit about the penalty. I mean, I don't really need to ask any of you, I don't think, whether it was a penalty or not, because it was cl- one of the most clear penalties that's been awarded this season. Although technically the referee didn't actually give the penalty it had to go to a VAR check to be given and that itself shows the fine margins in football at the moment because if we hadn't been given that we would all be moaning at a nil-nil draw against West Brom um, because nothing else really happened in the game but it was a penalty confidently struck away from Luca. first penalty of the season from him we're used to seeing him in double digits with with pens and um, uh, so it was nice to see him tuck it away and I thought Matt Luca had quite a good game and I think quietly he's been going almost Back to his old self. What were your thoughts on on his penalty and, and sort of Luca in general? Um, well, first of all, it was a stonewall penalty. There's no there's no two ways about it. Um, Furlong lent into it with his arm, and it hit his arm very clearly. Like there was possibly a kind of shout for maybe it hit the line of the sleeve, um, but his actions did it, and it's a stonewall. Um, I was just a, just a very very quick point on VAR. I was very kind of. I was glad to see VAR working in the way that it did. Um, obviously, the offside gave me a little bit of a kind of a concern because, oh God, it'll be again typical Palace. Um, <laughs> that if yes, I got that in, I got that in there. Um, it will be very, very typical if we get an opportunity like that and we get a water like, and ultimately have looking towards the penalty and Wolf and Wolf is a millimeter offside. Yeah. Um, but I was very happy with the way VAR actually uh, the referee. Kind of like wasn't sure. Went over to the was was sent over to the screen um, and took two seconds and saw it on the first go. It didn't take too long. Mm. Didn't 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 mess around with this kind of oh roll it back. Let me see. Roll it back. Let me see. All that sort of stuff. Didn't do anything like that. Just went. Yeah, that's straight a penalty. Fair enough. Done. Penalty get awarded. Um, the penalty itself, obviously, it's Luca. Like how. How many times has Luca missed a penalty for us? Once. Twice. Twice. No more than but, twice, I don't think. I remember once, one, against, one. one against Man City, Man City. last minute at home. New Year's Day, New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, that might New be actually. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, and if you if you look at his success rate, it's high 90s. You know, you know what you know what you're going to get with a Luca penalty. Um, I thought maybe because Wilf was on the pitch, Wilf might go, I want to do it. Um, because he's first, first game back, and may, may want to score, you know, get that extra buzz, who knows, but... Luca steps up, dispatches it. No, no harm, no foul. That was easy, and that was probably always going to happen um, on that. But in terms of Luca himself, I find Luca is one of those one of those players who defies opinion. He really, really is. I'm, I live in North London, and I live with um, two other guys. One's an Arsenal fan, and one's an Ipswich fan. So I ignore the Ipswich fan massively, but I talk to the Arsenal fan quite a lot um, because so he. We found a we found a common ground, a common player in that, and, that, and that's uh, Granite Xhaka. <laughs> Luca and Xhaka are both the. I'm not going to talk about Xhaka too much, obviously. This is not an Arsenal pod. This is a Palace pod, but they're both the kind of player who goes under the radar and does what needs to be done. The only downside to what they do is their passing and their distribution isn't as great as it could be, like. If you if you want so, but but that's the style of both players that they both are, um, and they go under the radar and they slowly improve, improve, and improve, and improve, improve. I was having a chat with my dad um, about Luca in particular, and I'm of the camp that, like like you, JD, he's been. I think he's been doing pretty well, 
um, for the past couple of like for the past couple of games, he seems to kind of roll into form a little bit. You know, he's, he's and obviously the, the penalty will, will help his confidence. Um, my dad is of the opinion that he's been absolutely terrible oh. over the past over the past four or five weeks. Like the the top the the Tottenham game is like kind of ingrained in his memory. Um, I saying, but and so I but I can see both sides. I can see like he's not Luca is not a fancy player. Um, he gets in, does the job moves on it's like i remember when we signed him we were saying oh yeah he's a jedi uh, replacement mm. and he's he's, he's, he's he's that kind of a mold of a player if you look at what jedi did for us um he was just there doing his job putting a foot in when he needs to always pick up a yellow card and then move on um that's how, and that's what luca has become for us and i think that's what we when i signed him that was that's kind of what you're on you need to add some steel into that okay. so i think he's been doing i think he's doing a really really good job um, is he the complete article and is he something, is he somebody who's going to create loads of chances for us? No. But then again, that's not his job. Mm. His job is to be in the middle of the park, to break up play, um, and release whoever's in front of him. It kind of rolls back to what we were saying in uh, a little earlier, is that the only problem with that is we've got <laughs> nobody in front of him at the moment yeah. to release to. And also, he's just or next to him, yeah. or, or next exactly. to him. Well, Granite Jacker's lack of passing ability stands out because he's surrounded by nine players who can pass. Lucas doesn't because he's not surrounded by anybody who can pass. So Lucas doesn't. <laughs> nobody goes there, but that guy can't pass. He just goes none of it. But the the irony of the VAR kerfuffle was that it, it was overlooked. That was one of the few moments of imagination that we showed in the game. It's one of the few creative things that we did and no one really analysed that afterwards because it was a different free kick. I think Benteke should claim an assist because the ball was clearly aimed for him and <laughs> Furlong had to stop it going in. But that was one of those moments where you go, well, hang on, we can do that. That's mm. obviously been worked out. Why are we so leaden for the rest of the game? Is that, that, let's say that one move we had just before we scored, which was a brilliant move in the middle of the pitch. You think, what, what's going on? Why can we do that? Once because the ability is there because the players surely the players must hate the way we're playing at the moment. Oh, must do. They've, they've must got do. to. There can't be any pleasure for the players in playing the way they're playing at the moment. You look, you look at our goal at Tottenham as well. Um, yeah, really, fair. really good play. Great, like, really good. Yeah. Phase of play behind it, and then somehow Luca ends up on the left wing and with his left foot. I've never seen him hit the ball with his left foot. No. He puts in that kind of a cross, which is which is amazing. I thought Lucas I thought Lucas passing on Saturday was some of the best it's been for this season and mm. until injury time when he just put two out of play for no reason. I thought someone I thought someone was I thought someone was injured um, both times. But no, his his passing was good and he did seem to have control. What on the flip side of that, what we did see with West Brom and I, you know I mentioned um Yukoshlu and Gallagher in last week's podcast is um and they did lose, so let's not give them too much praise. But what we saw with Gallagher is is a kind of third runner the runner from midfield that goes beyond the strike. And we don't have that. And I, I know they, they played three in the middle and we played two, but it would be interesting to see what would happen if we had someone a bit more energetic next to Luca, um, than say a gyro. I know James MacArthur does offer that. Um, and he's, he's unavailable at the moment, but I'd, I do wonder whether someone like Conor Gallagher would, um, not necessarily Conor Gallagher, but somebody of that skill set to, to be the third runner, you know, would offer up something different because we, he did that a few times to, to no success on Saturday um, but he did it a few times, and it's it's quite unusual to see it at Salas Park because we don't do that ourselves. And um, it, it, you know, as we've talked about before, this summer's really important in terms of recruitment, but no more than um, no more importantly than central midfield. And that is an area that we we do need to improve. And it might be, you know, pending the signings made in that area of the pitch, that you know Lucas' form does is sustained, 
and it in fact improves because I think you know he's he's very much a player that when he's in form he's in form, when he's not he's not and there's no real happy medium with Luca. But yeah, he he um he did well on uh, on Saturday. But uh, just a thing on the penalty uh, very quickly. Last week we had the question about you know player of the year and, and my nomination is Darnell Furlong uh, for a goal <laughs> at the Hawthorns and then assist on Saturday. So he's definitely in the running. <laughs> yeah, he really hate, he really hates playing against Palace. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Kevin, one nice point that, that Luca was involved with, and actually Cahill as well, was there was a, a tussle early on between Zaha and the Turkish guy, who I'm going to call OK, because I think that is actually his name, yeah. um, for West Brom, who was, who was very, very, very good. Um, and they sort of squared up, and Cahill was straight away in there, sort of Damien Delaney style, mm. uh, to break it up. And I think Luca at that point went into the referee's face and was sort of trying to um, sort of protest the, the Wolves' point of view. That is something we've talked about a lot on this podcast that seems to be sort of lacking when it comes to Zaha and protection. So I, that really stood out to me in a moment of the game. It's like, oh, they, they are doing that job. They are doing that. I mean, only one of them's captain, but that kind of leader's role. I thought it was quite quite nice to see, but it's, it doesn't happen enough. No, it does. It's, it, it's interesting. I did a referees podcast last week, which is, uh, and I I made this point, and these three professional referees said, "Well, basically, you're arguing for indiscipline and uh, abusing the referee." I said, "I can't. I sort of am a little bit, but Wilf needs to see that he's." got the protection of his own players at the very least because until referees show Wilf that he's going to be protected uh, we have to do it and I wouldn't fancy squaring up to to Cahill or to Lucas so they need to step in and just say even if it's a word to the ref or a word to the player you don't have to threaten people but yeah Wilf needs to be he needs to feel that they've got his back basically and that was that was good to see and again it's one of those things if if there had been a crowd that would have lifted the crowd. That only has the next five minutes would have been a bit of passion and a bit of energy. It's just so that was good to see. But again, it, it comes back to you really, really scrapping for positives. If somebody's <laughs> squaring up to someone, he's like, "Oh, that was good, wasn't it? That was good. That helps." He's like, "Yeah, yeah great, yeah, really good, yeah, yeah, great." We did, we, did, we did win, Kevin. We did. No, win. we did win. Of course, we won. But again, we, it just as as both Matt and Jack have said, it, it it's stuck record syndrome. It highlights virtually every pod we've had, which is more important. Where yeah, it's it's like a mate of mine said, we're in the Premier League for another season, but we don't grace the Premier League, and it's not and that's not our job. It's not our job to be entertaining. It's our job. It's Steve Parrish's job. It's Roy Hodgson's job to secure the future of the club for as long as possible. But it, as Endicott always says, it, it would be nice if that came with some some entertainment and some passion and as we've said every pod if we've got fans back next season please god i think we will and steve parish knows that it's going to be hard enough to lure people back as it is hmm. 
without without that because when you're at the game you can't you as I said last week you can't sit there in the half weight going is there some way I can watch that bargain hunt I've got stored <laughs> which, which you could do on Saturday you know Jack couldn't have left halfway through and done my mother-in-law's garage needs I wish Kevin I wish mate <laughs> well, just one, something one thing that did strike me during the second half you know one new up relatively comfortable not going for it but one thing did really strike me you know perhaps Roy's brief and, and this does point towards the summer and perhaps, a, you know, transition into a new you know, management and a new, a new focus for the club is that maybe his sole brief is just to maintain Premier League status. And, and, you know, those above him have just said, we don't care how we do it. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the more weeks pass with this kind of turgid approach to, to playing style, but effective in terms of results, the more that that becomes quite obvious to me, and perhaps I'm just late to the party, but, you know, it seems to me he, he just is, you know, one ambition and one objective set by Steve Parrish and Dougie Friedman keeps in the Premier League. He's going to do that with room to spare. And then obviously the summer comes and it's for, for those above him to, to make the necessary decisions um, and appointments. I, I, I don't think Roy needs a brief. I think Roy would resent the brief. I think Hodgson would say, I've been doing this job for 40 years. <laughs> I've been doing this for 40 yeah. years. I know what I have to do. I have to win, yeah. I have to win football matches. And he, that's become his mantra. At the end, as like after the end of the Brighton game, it's like there's only one statistic that matters, and that's the three points on the board, and that's the way he was brought up. And he's from that generation. Allardyce is the same, Pulis is the same, David Moyes to an extent, or Moyes has adapted. But I th- although I think West Ham have been really lucky, they've had no crowds. They're, they're gener- that was their yeah. their be all end all. If you'd if you'd said to those managers 25 years ago, you're part of the entertainment industry, they would have laughed at you and said, "No, we're not. We're, we're part of the winning industry. It's as simple as that." And then. I don't think I think that's possibly an issue at the club because if somebody is saying to Roy, you know what you do know what you have to do, don't you? I think Roy would say, yeah, I've been doing it long enough to know what I have to do. It's <laughs> one more goal than the opposition, if that's all right. And like we said before, there's no asterisk at the, the three points. It doesn't say these were an ill-earned three points or it wasn't a good game. You just get the three points that you need to bank 140 million quid for being in the Premier League next season. I think it's maybe just to, just to add the bit though about lack of lack of foresight ahead of next season. Perhaps that's what struck me the fact that Mateta's making mm. as few appearances that's, as well, he is yeah. and that, that that's maybe what I should yeah that's maybe a better way mm. to articulate it that his objective is is, is until May there, there really is no kind of looking ahead towards yeah. you know ne- next well, season perhaps that's the Mateta's bit that struck me I don't know what Matt thinks about this but Mateta's Mateta's a good point because I, I assumed after he scored against Brighton that he would start yeah, the, next, the next game at least or the game after that because so, again, it's one of those things that Roy. It's an old-fashioned thing. Roy doesn't seem the need to communicate to 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 play. We're not read. There is a match day program. We're not reading it because it's digital. But if even if there was, Roy wouldn't say, "Look, let me explain why Mateta didn't start after the Brighton game." It's just that's the way he works. So we don't know whether he's carrying an injury. We don't know whether Roy didn't want him in the first place. We're just slightly surprised that this young, exciting talent hasn't got a look in. And again, Roy would say, well, "Why? What's he got to do with you? It's, we've we've got three points." Yeah, it's, um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I think um, on on Mateta himself, the silence can be a bit deafening um, in in that regard. We off the back of the Brighton game, you go, he scores that goal, which is just like for for a Palace player is insane. Because like, you look at that and go, a Palace player scored that yeah. really? Hmm, okay. Great. <laughs> um, like, since when, when was the last time a Palace player scored a back heel apart from Popovich's own goal in the uh, Portsmouth <laughs> Five? Yeah. yeah. Um, was that at home? 
No, I was away. Oh, I was away. Nice. I was, in, I, was in the pitch. I was I was right behind the goal on the pitch for that. Oh, oh that yeah. was, that was, um, I still I still I still um, reinforced that that was the, one of the best own goals I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Um, in my life. Um, but that that to me is the last time a Palace player scored with the back heel. And we're talking 15, 15 years and such right. So yeah. you look like from from an outside perspective, go that's that's a spark of talent. That's a spark of flair. That's something that Palace doesn't have. And this kind of falls back onto the narrative thing that we were saying mm. um, a little bit earlier. I think I have a theory. There's a, the narrative behind Leeds, Wolves, Arsenal. The fact that we're talking about Arsenal in the same breath as us at the moment shows you yeah. how far we've actually come and what a crazy season it's been. But that narrative um, and the narrative of us being in a relegation scrap is because we're because of the style of play. Mm. If you if you look at our style of play, we are very organised, very robust. Or try to be, um, and we want to sneak the one nils, get as many clean sheets as possible, and do that. You then look at Wolves, Arsenal, and um, Leeds. That's not their mentality at all. Leeds. Yeah. Uh, There's one thing that all the media seems to have forgotten is the fact that Leeds have only just been promoted. Mm. So, um, survival for them is key. Yet. The, there's, there's there's this narrative about oh they're playing Bielsa's got them playing fantastic football and he does to a degree like it's fantastic like, but his approach is we're going to score more than you whereas our approach is we want to we want to stop score? you from scoring <laughs> exactly we might yeah. we yeah exactly. we want to stop you scoring and we might nick a goal here or there but ultimately we'll take the point yeah that's that sort of that sort of um, style of play drives that narrative. And that's probably, and, that, and that to me, that's why we're, that's why it's been talked about. Like us, oh, we get this win, we're safe. Oh, we get this win, we're safe. Yet you've got Leeds and Wolves who we're, I think we're above at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and they're, they're, never, they're, they're, never, they're never spoken about in that, in that sort of, because of the style of their play. It's always very aggressive. It's always very mm. adventurous. It's always about get the ball as fast, uh, get the ball forward as fast as possible. We're not like that. So therefore that drives that narrative. Yeah, it's, it's just very true. I mean, th- guys, we've got very, very analytical this week. We don't normally get into narratives and stuff like that, but it's absolutely true, uh, and it's very interesting uh, to consider. Are you it. ready for my XG presentation, no. ladies? <laughs> <laughs> I thought without Andy okay, Street here, I'd at least avoid XG for one week. Um, oh, okay, no problem. Next week, then. <laughs> uh, but no, it's, it's very interesting stuff. I, I mean, we have had a few questions about... Uh, whether Roy will take the handbrake off for the rest of the season, because traditionally, Jack, we have seen to come come this point in the previous two years when we have been a bit more safe that Roy has let them flourish further forward, and we've had the five three against uh, Bournemouth and games like that. But um, I, I'm I'm not feeling as confident that that will happen this time around. What do you think? Uh, different variables as well. You know, no crowd. Um, well, actually, that's the key variable, in my opinion, that he won't do that. In fact, um, you know, the kind of you know requirement to, to play the handbrake off, unless the players really insist it, unless the players get around him and say, come on, Roy, we've, we've done our bit this season. We, we, you know, we're safe and hopefully we'll be mathematically safe sooner rather than later. Unless the players get around him, I just can't see him changing his you know brief of 30 plus games for the part for the last four or five. I might be wrong and it might be that when Arsenal come to Selhurst and hopefully there's, you know, a crowd in that those that are in attendance do see a you know open game and, and Palace going for it. But I think that would be the only real reason why why Roy would change, particularly with what I just said a moment ago, that it seems to me more and more clearly each week that his sole brief is to to manage this club until the end of this season and that's it. 
Um, I don't think there's a reason for him to see or to chuck a load of, you know, youngsters in or, or Mateta specifically or play Eze in a slightly different role. Um, I don't think there's a requirement for him to do that ahead of next season. So I would be surprised if the handbrake does come off. I don't, I, I don't care how many points we've got. When we're playing Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Everton, I, f- I think we'll approach those games in exactly the same way. When we're playing bigger exactly. teams than us, it might be that against Villa, Sheffield United away, who knows? It might be a bit more expansive. But the other variable is we haven't got Loftus Cheek, who was a big part of those those big wins. Yeah. And also, when we talk about letting the handbrake off, it kind of means letting PVA run forward a little bit more. There's no. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 essentially, that's essentially what it is. Yeah. It's not like we suddenly become this. Because it, it's muscle memory. When a, when a team's played a certain way for 30, 30 games, 32 games, you can't, whatever you do in training that week, they're not going to suddenly come out and just switch yeah. into free flowing attacking mode. We haven't got the players to do it. You know, unless, yeah. unless in the unlikely event that he says, right, we'll start with Eze, we'll start with Mateta, we'll start with Wilf. And, and we'll get a kid out of the academy and put him up front as well. It's not going to happen. It's just simply not going to happen. And it also plays into the story about the next manager as well, because whoever is the next manager, it's going to take him two years to turn that ship around. It, we, we're going to suddenly go in, in the space of three three months in the, in the close season, going from the sort of team we've been for seven, eight years to Leicester to Leeds. It's not going to happen. So we, we need to get used to that fact as well. You, you said ship, didn't you? I did say ship, yeah. Good, just just, yeah, just checking. Yeah. Zoom, Zoom can muck up the audio sometimes. <laughs> no, it, good stuff, guys. Very, very interesting and, and all absolutely spot on. So, um, fair, fair play. It was ship. It was, just to confirm, it was you ship. You sound like a scout, master. Good stuff, guys. That's great. <laughs> Put the nets away now. That's very I good. I feel like I'm dealing with kids sometimes, Kevin. So, that, that's, that's bang on. Hey, um, have some respect. <laughs> let's take a quick break uh we'll come back with questions in part three in part two i'm going to drop in a clip from um the post-match pod um so patrons won't be getting this but normal people normal people but uh, the wider public will be uh so after the break or quick clip from the patron pod jd just go to the break uh, and then we'll come back with questions in part three Hey, it's Jesse Kelly. Ronald Reagan famously once said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Americans are losing faith in the banking system. And at the same time, the U.S. government could soon be headed toward a centralized banking system. How scary is that? How do you protect yourself as the government gets more involved in your life? For me, owning gold is one way. Having gold that I can see and touch makes me feel protected. Having a portion of your retirement in precious metals is another way to feel protected. I don't own crypto, I don't own NFTs, and I don't buy meme stocks. I don't invest in things I don't understand. If you are like me and want to feel safe, it's time to call my friends at the Oxford Gold Group. Go to www.oxfordgoldgroup.com to learn more. Again, that's www.oxfordgoldgroup.com. All round uh, positives, I guess. They're, they're really, I mean, the negatives we kind of need to cover them a little bit. It, it did feel, we've talked about the the, the defence being positive in the midfield probably. In terms of offence, it just didn't really click, did it, Adam, today? The, the the kind of attacking runs didn't really happen and 
there were a couple of moments where it looked like it might. I think that Eze, Eze ran through the midfield and had a shot right at Johnson, for example. But it just didn't feel cohesive, really, did it? No, and I'm I'm not really sure why, because you would say that uh, with the three players behind Ben Teki, that at least we had, you know, people that could carry the ball and, and, and carry a threat. And I don't think it's tactical. I just don't think we got those players on the ball enough. And when we did, they didn't show enough, really. I think that that's the reality of it. I mean, are oh, you had that run in the second half where he carried the ball right through the heart of the of the defence and then lost control of it right at the death as he sort of got around the box. But I don't think we sort of got at them enough. But I think, you know, OK playing in front of the back four made it difficult for us to get the ball in those areas and really sort of turn and get a run on people. But, you know, I think, I think Eze at the moment isn't giving us enough for his, for his obvious capability, I think. Um, but then I say that, you know, we're talking about a player that we've plucked out of the championship last season and you probably might expect this, a little bit. I think that's fair. But, you know, as I said, Jeffrey Schlupp would be your only alternative and obviously they're easing him back. But I, I still feel even, as I said before, with all of those attacking options now fit, even Conor Wickham's fit, you know, you've got all those strikers and those sort of forward players to use. There's not that many, I think, that are going to deliver on a consistent basis at Premier League level. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to add something else there. I no, think no, it, sorry. No, I no, think, no. I, just, I, 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 I appreciate I what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I, there's, you know, I think there's plenty of players there, but, I'm, you know, as I've said to you before, I think as far as the strikers go, you could throw five balls in a bag on a Friday and pick one out, and I would be probably generally not too concerned which one came out of the bag because I don't think there is a, a significant situation or significant difference, let's say, whether you're playing Benteke or Mateta or Batshuayi or Wickham or whatever, I don't, or are you as a striker, I don't think any of them are significantly better than any of the others. It makes a huge difference. Do you, do you not think you would at least give the guy who hasn't really had much of, a, of an opportunity that chance to kind of prove himself because that the you can you can argue with Benteke he's he's had you know I, I don't think Benteke had a terrible game today I don't think it was it was worthy of being dropped but on the flip side I do kind of think unless if he's unless he's going to be given a new contract and there is going to be a plan for him to be involved next season. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against it. Oh, goodness. Well, in that case, I mean, but the, I, I, I do think that unless that's the case, you would surely give Mateta an opportunity. And actually, I, I understand that, that this is Roy Hodgson is is looking to win as many games as he can. And if he thinks that he can do that better with Benteke, that's his right to choose the player that he thinks is going to do better there. But I do end up thinking like this is a player, you know, Mateta, this is a player that, that they wanted what eighteen million pounds for uh, euros for him last uh, during the summer. Um, he scored goals in the Bundesliga. He scored a, a decent goal out of nothing for Palace against Brighton. I just think, why not? Because it doesn't. Again, today it didn't really feel like 
I, I didn't. I don't think Benteke had a terrible game, but I don't think he was influential in the way that you would kind of want your centre striker to be. But I also think that that comes down to other players around him not doing enough to kind of create opportunities. You know, we talk, we keep talking about crossing it into the box. How many crosses were there into the box for Benteke today? I don't think there were any. I, I can't. I genuinely can't recall a single cross into the box that Benteke could have attacked. Do you think that that is something that? I mean, with it's so difficult because it feels like we're kind of raking over hot coals. But would Roy Hodgson change it about for that? Re- like to to give Mateta a chance? I don't see it. Do you, Dom? We'll get his chance in the run in. I know what you mean. It is. It's a sort of that's a difficult balancing act between what Roy thinks is the best chance of gaining some points ahead of you know nine difficult games as Adam suggested. Potentially, I mean seven or eight of them you you look at and think, well, they're going to be they're going to be very particularly tricky. Um, so he wants the points in the bag, and if he thinks that Benteke, who did score in the last game um, and scored the winner at Brighton um, in our last in our previous win. You know, he probably offers him the, the best opportunity. They've also seemed to have gone increasingly direct of late. So I'm a bit, yeah, a bit unnerved by in some ways. I mean, the, the first instinct from the fullbacks seems to be to, and the centre halves actually is to is to float long balls mm-hmm. up towards Benteke at the moment. And and we heard Ray Lewington um, consistently shouting go long go long we're going long in, in in previous matches as well so that seems to be their mindset at, at the moment and Benteke probably is that at least he's sort of steeped in the way of, of English football you know and he knows that that game plan it's happened he's happened to him before at Palace it, the, the, the crossing thing's quite interesting because there was a lot of so there's been a lot of pining for Andros Townsend flinging crosses into Christian Benteke um, and people sort of thinking, oh, this, this is what we used to do. This is what we used to do when Big Sam was in charge. It happened once under Big Sam at Bournemouth in a game that we'd already won. It was 1-0 at the time, and, and, ben, and Townsend put a cross in for Benteke. Mm. Um, it happened probably more under Pardew that season, um, yeah. where we, actually mm. a lot of the, 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 the crosses that were put in were, were, were diagonal balls hit from deep, um, thinking the, the the brilliant header that he scored against Everton in particular, I, I can't remember who put it in. Maybe MacArthur, um, but a, a sort of pinged centre from from quite deep, a diagonal, and he he plants it in. There were a few like that in that little period, but we we haven't really. Although he scored a lot of headed goals, I, I'm not I'm not convinced that actually that that, that has been. That common. He, he did it. He's done it against West Ham a couple of times. Maybe against Leicester under Roy. He's actually probably done it under Roy more than more than most managers. Uh, and yet we sort of all pine mm. for the big Sam with Benteke and getting the best out of him. Well, I don't think he did get the best out of him. Well, Palace, Palace made like... that. Oh, sorry, Rob. Um, Palace made that video, didn't they, after the Brighton game of um, oh, the the combos back. Andros and Benteke, and the video was about 90 seconds long. It was really <laughs> short. It felt to me like they had, an idea, they had this idea for a video, got halfway through and thought, oh, shit, there's not many, is there? Well, we'll just, we'll just put it out anyway. Because you were right. What you were saying, I was thinking the same watching that video. Yeah, it, it, it feels like it was more of a thing, but actually like the evidence suggests it, it possibly isn't. So that that was really interesting to me. That I sort of, I, it, The revision of 
revisionism of the yeah. Andros to Benteke thing is actually not quite all remember. I kind of feel like there's there it's as I said we're kind of raking over hot co- uh, the the same kind of thing over and over again in that it just it feels like there is opportunity to try something different in attack and and by that I mean a change in how we're actually doing the attacking portion of the game and perhaps even reverting back to the kind of to the the kind of attacking approach we had under Roy two or three seasons ago and I know that there's an argument that you know we don't have the quality of players like our, uh, like Loftus-Cheek and like Kabai to do that but to not even try that just seems a little bit kind of it just seems again it, it's the kind of madness of repeating the same thing over and over again and expecting different results we're not it's it's not that we're ch- you know we've had this complaint pretty much all season where opportunities seem to be very sparingly kind of created and then uh you know you say about Benteke for example today he had that one chance and it, he turned and shot and it, it you know it was well saved but that is all that that's as as far as it went in terms of opportunities for Benteke to score so we can say Benteke no, is the other one Rob in the second you're half, right you're right the, he should have where, just pulled the trigger and shot across the yeah. keeper and had a touch and took himself wide. But again, it's it's very very rare, Adam. It's not like we're seeing like twenty chances being created. Which and and to be fair here, I'm not I'm not being entirely critical of Roy. I'm saying that Roy actually had us playing the kind of football where we were creating ten fifteen chances in a game prior previously, and we're just not doing that now. Well, in fairness, Rob, your point being, in the first two seasons that Roy was in charge, we finished seventh in those two seasons for the most attempts at the opposition's goal behind the big six clubs. So actually, as an attacking force under Roy in the first two seasons, we were the best other team outside the big six in the Premier League. Right. But it just, and I don't, again, I'm not sure Everything is massively different. I think it's personnel. And the personnel today should have been good what enough to offer us Bloody more, hell. I think, than they, than they did. What's happened? 2-0 Burnley. An absolute screamer from McNeil. Jeez. Really? <laughs> sorry, you have to delete that. And, and Sorry, what I was going to say to you also, which I think is a fair point, is Christian Benteke, I think, has been aware for quite some time from from... What I'm led to believe in terms of, you know, his future in, you know, he's not been offered a new contract. He might be playing himself into one now, but I think he's he's been told. I mean, Dom would probably be the person that would know more, but you know, on on a couple of occasions that his future may well lay away from Stellhurst and to fix himself up, and then we're trying to get a tune out of the bloke at the same time as well, which is you know, the difficulty that the coach has in the director of football system, if you like, to, you know, within a football club. Because I think, you know, the club's not offering offering contracts or telling players, you know, to fix themselves up elsewhere or the agent, you know, move him on if you can. You know, the coach then has to tell him that he's wanted, needed and, and get a tune out of him, which I don't think is the easiest situation all of the time. And that, perhaps also, you know, underlines my point about how difficult the season it's been in that respect with so much uncertainty. 
It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Welcome back to part three of the Five Year Plan podcast. Well, if you're a pa- if you're a patron, you haven't heard part two because uh, you've already heard it. Because it was a clip from the post match pod. You've already heard it a few days ago. Uh, so yeah, we've magically gone from one to three. Um, and part three, uh, I should say really quickly, Summer Hayes was uh, the, our listener that mentioned about the, ha- the handbrake off him in the previous part. I forgot to mention. So thank you, Summer, for that question. Uh, and this this pod is sponsored this week by Beer Fifty Two. You'll have already heard a little pre-record ad I dropped in earlier in the episode. Uh, but just a reminder to go to beer52.com forward slash FYP to get your free case of eight Belgian beers. All you've got to do is pay the five ninety five for the postage. And one of the people on this call, Mr. Jack Pierce, has already sampled some of these Beer 52 beers. And uh, you're a fan, aren't you? I am. I think uh, by... Uh, starting a beer subscription and appearing on podcasts during lockdown, I have in fact completed lockdown. So pretty, uh, pretty, pretty happy with myself. Um, yeah, no, I, ha- I have sampled beer fifty two. Yeah, typically they do a, a theme each month, and uh, yeah, some interesting stuff that you normally wouldn't see in your your local offie. So if you're interested in that type of thing, I would um, I'd recommend to at least give it a couple of go. I think you can cancel after a month. Well, I'm not doing this selling pitch for them, but I think you can cancel pretty quickly but yeah if you're interested then um then give them a go particularly a box of eight beers for 5.95 that does sound pretty decent there you go uh, so go to beer52.com that's that's the word beer then 52.com forward slash fyp uh right let's move on to questions from our listeners um <laughs> kevin as ever literally every week we get questions about roy's future mm. probably pertinent given his contracts up in the summer and we haven't heard about any renewals as of what is it monday at 148 p.m um so people are wondering about Roy's future. Let me read a couple of questions out. Safe hands seventy one. Hi, safe hands. Do we keep Roy in charge for next season? Richard Asquith says. Hello, Richard. Ideal time to bring in the new manager. Safe. Three weeks until the next game. Nine games to assess the squad. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Ash Wills. This season has been possibly the most boring Palace team to watch as Roy doesn't have the fans giving their instinctive reaction in the stadiums. We mentioned that in part one. Mm. Would you endure another 12 months of Roy if we could secure a new manager like Steven Gerrard, Mm. recent SPL champion, as he'll want Premier League experience before going on to manage Liverpool? Ash has got it all planned out. Um, And then Rune HDK. I guess he might be one of our Scandinavian listeners. Who would bed the perfect replacement to King Roy? Uh, There you go. After the season, if the club decides it's time to move on, Chris Wilder, recently departed uh, Sheffield United. Rafa Benitez, what's your view on the perfect manager for the Eagles? Um, Kevin, I'm sure your opinion hasn't changed much in a week, uh, but where do you stand? It it hasn't changed much in a week. No, I I think Roy's contract coming to an end... It is the perfect opportunity to to make a change, but I have to say, and I was talking to Ed about this uh, after the game. I'm also quite nervous about the change, to be perfectly honest. In in the same way that 
people in the entertainment industry are slightly nervous about coming out of lockdown. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what sort of world we're going back into. We've had this safety blanket in Roy Hodgson now for three and a half seasons. He's kept us up. If he was to become or stay as our manager next season, he'd probably keep us up again. And yet you kind of feel instinctively something has to change that, but you know, Chris Wilder has been linked with Celtic and Portsmouth. I don't think he would particularly want to come. I mean, that's a trouble. Who do you who do you get in? I don't. I don't know. I'm. I'm. I want Roy to go with our blessing, but I'm also nervous about what is going to happen when he doesn't. Uh, and I, I think Frank De Boer was such a bad kicking for Steve Parrish that he's not going to go anywhere. It's my instinct is that we'll end up with Sean Dyche as manager because it's not too radical a change or Eddie Howe who's young and blonde and that will represent a big change and of course the people a lot of people putting two and two together about Eddie Howe being the pundit on Sky for our game and they're right to do so because uh, Sky do play games like that you know sometimes in the tabloids on on the back of the sun you might see a headline that says uh, well-known pod presenter uh, has been suspended for breaking lockdown with a zebra, <laughs> uh, and you don't know who, who it is, but on Something the same you want page, to tell us, Kevin. No, no, but on, on the same page, it will have a story saying James Daly has decided zoos to reopen. <laughs> you know, there, will be, there will be clues as to what the story is about. There, there are four reasons why Eddie Howe would have been the pundit for the game, uh, the Palace game, because he's not. He doesn't do a lot of pundit work, and there are quite a few games over Sky. It's either coincidence, which I don't think it is. It's either mischief. They've put Eddie Howe on to see if people will put two and two together and make a story that they can then run with. It's either a story they already know is going to happen and they want to be in on it at the start. Um, or Eddie Howe has said to his agent or vice versa, look, you've, you've had your six months off. It's about time you told Palace that you're available. So go on telly and say things like they're a great team. They're really well organised. But wouldn't it be nice to see them score a few goals? which is basically what happened. For me, that was Eddie Howe putting himself in the shop window for the Palace job, to be honest. And I, I, you know, I, I think there are people like Jack, John Terry who would make interesting choices, but I, I can't see it being anyone other than Sean, Sean Dice or Eddie Howe. And, and neither of those are huge sales to the, to, to the fan base. If you're going to go for Sean Dice, stay with, with Roy Hodgson and give him 50 million quid to spend. That's, that's the thing. Cause I, I am nervous about what's going to, what's going to happen. I, yeah. Cause it's, and it's great because for all that we've said, we want to see better football. Brighton and Fulham play lovely football, but they're both in danger of going down. So the, yeah. there is, there is somewhere in between. And, and the fact is that at the moment in the way the economic crisis has engulfed football, staying in the Premier League is really, really important. It will be, it will be next season. So, I kind of hope that Roy decides to resign so the decision is taken out of all our hands. But I I am nervous about who's going to come in and replace him, to be honest. Because this idea that somebody will come in and wave a magic wand and we'll suddenly start saying, well, we'll score more goals than you do. Because, you know, Leeds say that, but quite often they forget to do the scoring more goals than the other team bit. Yeah, which is it's lovely as a policy. It's really nice as a theory. Right, you score two, we'll score three. But quite often you don't score the three. So somewhere in between uh, an expected goal, whatever it is, of zero point one a game and Brighton's nine hundred a game would be would be lovely. But (laughs) and and that's like I say, whoever comes in, I don't think will suddenly try and change the style of play in the course of one season. I, I generally don't think they do because we won't be able to recruit enough players to do it for a start off. 
Yeah, you're not going to be able to change the whole team. And if you've got if you've got a back four and a, and a midfield two who are used to playing that style of football, you can bring in a, a creative player, of course you can, or an instinctive goal scorer. But that's not going to change everything in in three months. To be fair, John Terry has spent his whole career making interesting choices. So, um, yeah, not two. sure how I'd feel about that on the Palace touchline. But Matt. Um, it feels like, I mean, the Eddie Howe point that Kevin makes is very interesting. And, and I think we saw Chris Coleman previously doing a Palace match, Mark Hughes, and the, people were sort of saying the same things. That out of those three, you'd, you'd take Howe, obviously. Um, but actually, the more we talk about the manager situation on this, con, on this podcast, it feels like we, we, we almost argue the case to keep Roy a few t- for ourselves. We, we sort of come full circle. And actually, last few weeks, and Kevin makes the point about staying up there being important and the style of change won't happen overnight. Does it feel like we're arguing for another 12 months of Roy? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I mean, I'll, I'll know my know my colours to the post at this point. Um, I'm not a fan of Roy, and I'm not a fan of Roy's. I think he's done a fantastic job for us. Um, but given, if I'm going to sit on, I usually sit on the fence with these things. But if I'm going to, if I'm going to say, um, I'm more inclined for to, to be Roy out than I am anything else. So, <clears throat> but. Given, I think there's a big element you, where everyone's got to consider what's going on in the world right now as well. It's not it's, football. Football in itself um, usually does get put into some sort of, for want of a better term, its own bubble. Um, and it's all about oh yeah, we'll go out and get this person, go out and get this person, go out and get this person. But most, most, and I'm, I'm the same. I, I forget about this one. It's like sometimes you play football manager too long, um, and all of a sudden you think, oh, I can just go do this, just go do this, go do this, and then all of a sudden things have changed. Like for example, I've taken in my last game, I've taken Dulwich Hamlet from um, <laughs> the set, the the uh, Vanarama South up until the Championship in four seasons. Like it's, it's that that's just impossible. But we, can we as football fans, we think like that. You know, we think we think about the romantic side. We think. Realistic mm. terms, you you look at that from the, given the current context area, everything. Think about the amount of money it would actually take to bring in um, a Sean yeah. Dyche, for example. Like, mm. if if we were to write that, if we identify the the caliber of player um, or manager rather, same thing can be said for players, but generally speaking, if we identify the kind of ideal candidate for manager, this is the manager that we want, and this is the style of play that we want to do, and this is where we want to be going forward. If Sean Dyche is that player, again, player, if he is that manager, then you think about how much it's going to cost to get him. We've we've then got to go to Burnley and go, how much do you want for him? We We don't forget that Burnley have just been taken over. And one of the biggest yeah. things about Burnley's takeover, as I discovered on this other random pod about football finance, um, is <laughs> that Sean, being, Sean Dyche being at Burnley was a big, big, big thing for for these guys taking over. Like that, mm. that was one that was one of the main factors that that, that was that was a that was a thing. So if we go to them and say, "Yeah, we want to take Sean Dyche off you," um, we're going to have to shell out a hell of a lot of money to to get him because that's that's where Burnley. That's how high, highly Burnley rate him. Um, in the grand scheme of things, if we are going to identify that, then having another 12 months of Roy makes sense because we don't have to shell out X amount of money to, to get him. And he, and he would probably accept the same wages and all that sort of stuff and et cetera, et cetera. We, would, we wouldn't necessarily have that. But that being said, you're both, um, both JD and um, Kevin's points about 
um, all of a sudden starting to have certain former managers and certain uh, appear in punditry. The Eddie Howe thing was a stark thing. Like as soon as he popped up on Sky, I was like, what? Why is he here? Oh, there's only generally one reason why he would be there. Yeah. Um, there's some sort of deal with the agent or something along those lines. So like, you can you you fall under that perso- that perception. Same thing with uh, Chris Coleman. How Chris Coleman was basically talking himself into the job and mentioning typical patterns about seven times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can you can you can see you can read between the lines in these sort of things. Um, but generally speaking, like reading between the lines is a bit foggy. Right? It's all grey. We don't really know what's going on. Um, with Roy, we got a safe pair of hands. We know what we're going to get. But unfortunately, we also know what we're going to get on the pitch. Um, one thing that I keep reminding myself, and I keep that, I think I mentioned it in, in the in the chat a good couple of times, is we this season is such an odd season, um, and what with everything going on at the moment, everyone is under the microscope because every single game is on TV, literally mm-hmm. every game. I have, apart from the fact I haven't had a season two for a couple of years because unfortunately I haven't been able to afford it, but. This this is the most amount of games I've the most amount of Palace games I've ever seen um, in a season. Yeah. Um, apart from when I when I had a season ticket. As a result, you sit there and you watch and you analyze absolutely everything. And I think that's what a lot of um, a lot of people are kind of um, concerned about, and that's why they're so frustrated with the style of play because we are seeing absolutely every, we're seeing every minute of every game, and we are getting bored by the kind of the shut up shop mentality like that and that's why because we see it every single week mm. and there's no there's no there's no when you when you when you <clears throat> when you can go and see the games you do you have that you make a day of it of course there is the element of that but you don't see every single game so there may be one or two games that you see you might not see the West Brom and Palace game because that might not be on Sky. To be perfectly honest, yeah. out of all the games that weekend, that probably, the North London derby um, was that weekend. You know, like it's that that would be that would be the thing. Uh, Palace West Brom wouldn't be on TV, so you wouldn't see that. You wouldn't see how you wouldn't see the performance. You wouldn't see the ta- you wouldn't you just wouldn't see it. So therefore, kind of ignorance is bliss um, in that regard. But, yeah, but there's, there still would be an air of there, there still would be an air of the team not. You know, playing especially hmm. well, even if they weren't on television, because this does happen to teams. This is this is why teams do end up, end up making changes, like you know, Charlton with Kerbishley, Stoke with Pulis. You know, this this does happen, and there were crowds in in the grounds back then. So this this, this you know this air around the the rather negative style of play does happen. But I do agree with you totally that um, you know watching every game and it being under the microscope um, does increase yeah the assessment and the assessment being a fairly negative one. Hmm. Um, at the moment but it, you know I, the thing with Roy for me and I'll keep this very brief is that yes he has kept us up safe and I, I agree with Kevin actually if he saved for another season he probably would do but eventually you're going to have to end it simply because the issues around our playing squad but also Roy's age he will want to get to a point where he will want to walk away um, and yes he might keep us up next season but I'd hazard a guess that actually going you know a season beyond this one he might not do. And uh, the final point, and this is probably a discussion for another pod closer to the end of the season. Will the appointment about Roy or Roy staying on or not staying on start to influence discussions around Wilf extending his contract? And that's something that I think the club do need to, to consider. That's, that's some forward planning that they need to start selling to Wilf Zaha if they want to even consider mm. 
him him extending his stay um, beyond the end of the season uh, after next. A really good point. Yeah. I, I think I think Hodgson might be a number of managers like Potter. Uh, Hassan Hootal, Sean Dyche, where the owners give them the benefit of the doubt because this has been such a bizarre season mm, yeah. that they'll say we can't judge what's happened yeah. on, on this season because the world could turn around and say, look, if we had a full house every home game, I wouldn't have played like that. We would have scored more goals. <laughs> and and in, in in the long run, these decisions are done financially. The, the point Matt makes about Sean Dyche is a good one, but Sean Dyche is currently unhappy with the lack of money he was given by the new owners and the promises he's been had been made for because they've basically the new owners leveraged the buyout and haven't got as much money as they said they would have for for oh. players. On the other hand, I don't think we've got the money to say we'll come to Palace and we'll give you a fifty million pound war chest. You know, Chris Wilder wouldn't have been leaving Sheffield United for football reasons. Chris Wilder fell out because the, the owner wanted him to, to implement an international scouting organisation, and Chris Wilder wanted most of his players to come from within twenty miles of, of Bramall Lane. So, I think. I think a lot of managers who under normal circumstances would be moved on because of a mediocre season won't be. And I'm beginning to suspect that Roy may be one of them, unless there is a ready-made replacement that can come in and play a similar style of football for a while and work within a limited budget. You know, that, that would be Roy Hodgson. You know, if Roy Hodgson wasn't our manager, there would be people saying, you well, should get Roy in for a couple of seasons. He's a safe pair. He's exactly. a safe pair of hands, you know. So, I, I don't think it's a four. Even even with Roy's contract ending, I don't think it's a. I hope it is because I'm I'm not I, I I'm not as anti Roy. I think Matt's necessarily anti Roy, but I'm not as anti Roy as Matt is. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't lose any sleep if he stays, but I, I wouldn't lose any sleep if he goes. But if he's if he's, if he's ending the contract is not doesn't automatically lead to him going. I wouldn't be at all surprised. I don't. I genuinely don't think it's a foregone conclusion anymore. Uh, f- good points, everyone. Again, again, I feel I'm like the scout leader again. But well done, everyone. You well really done. are <laughs> dissing. You're dissing, you're dissing Enders and Streety. Basically, this is your message to Enders and Streety. Saying, look, to look fuck your what, ideas up. We've got a really entertaining, <laughs> yeah. flair-filled pod. Yeah, exactly. With you, with you two not here. Exactly. <laughs> um, guys, I, I appreciate we are overrunning a little bit, so I apologise. Um, really quickly, though, though, I do think we need to address... Um, Wilf's refusal to take the knee, and we have had a question from someone who's titled themselves, Oh, this bloody computer. Has Enders end sent a question? Oh, my Under dad. What's going on with that? <laughs> what a could great. Um, and they've said, it could be you. They've put a little joke in it as well. Um, Ari Wilf's brave stance on taking the knee does this prove once and for all that he doesn't go down easily? It, <laughs> Good. I mean, maybe not a time or place, but a good, you know, solid, yeah. solid joke. Um, Jack, I know we sort of spoke off air about this, um, so I'll come to you first for this one. Um, I do have Will's statement here, so I'll read it very quickly or, or parts of it, but I think we're all aware of, sort of his reasons why he's decided to stop taking, taking the knee. He has said it for a while. Um, he said, uh, there's no right or wrong decision, but for me personally, I feel kneeling has just become a part of the pre-match routine at the moment. It doesn't matter whether we kneel or stand. Some of us continue to receive abuse, and, and that is happening almost on a daily occurrence at the moment on social media. Um and I think Wilf, and I think they said this at the game of the weekend, is the first player in the Premier League. I think there are a few clubs down, lower down the divisions who collectively have stopped, I think, uh, stopped QPR. doing it. QPR, that's right. But Wilf mm. is the first player to do it individually. Uh, what were your thoughts on it, Jack? I thought 
it was no surprise to anyone that's you know kept abreast of the situation with Wilf. He's he's been quite honest in uh, another podcast um, recently on the Judy. Is it? I think it's called. Um, yes. Yeah. He, he spoke quite well on that about it. He also spoke at the Financial Times Football Festival um, about the same issue. Mm. You know, it was quite obvious to anyone who's heard his words recently that that was something he was considering. I thought his statement, word for word, was was spot on. I I, I agree with him. Um, you know, as, as a, I'm a white man, you know, it's. Um, it's it's probably a different perspective than well it is a different perspective from his but I have seen the knee just become a part of the pre-match ritual you know they instead of shaking hands before the game for COVID it seems like the knee has just kind of taken up that same amount of time and I I've seen players you know forget it they've started the game rather embarrassingly they've started running I think Christian Benteke probably the most comedically yeah. of of, of, uh, of any player in the league this season started running um, before players took the knee in the, the home match against Spurs in December. Um, so yeah, I, I think all the points he raises are solid points, um, and it's his choice. I think the fact that he also clarified that he's not making any judgment on anyone that wishes to continue taking a knee is really important. He's not suggesting that he doesn't agree that it's still an issue. In fact, the opposite of that, he he thinks more needs to be done. So I, I you know, I'm super proud of Wilf for a lot of things. I think yeah, his yeah. his um, his attitudes towards the wider picture rather than just football is. Is, is to be lauded. I think he does a lot of good work that kind of goes under the radar. Um, locally, he's a big supporter of, of what Palace do in the community. And and for me, I, I think it was, um, it was only a matter of time before a player did make this decision. And the fact it's Wilf doesn't necessarily surprise me. My, my guess is that the Premier League will hope that more players like Wilf make that decision because I know for a fact that they're nervous about what's going to happen when yeah. grounds are full again, when players take the knee because there will be yeah. idiots in every ground yeah. who take exception to it, no doubt about it. But Wilf's point it is absolutely right. And again, Jack's quite right to point out, you're talking to four white, white middle-class men basically about an issue that... You should be asking other people about it, but Will's point is absolutely right. Before each game, you watch match of the day, match of the day two. Before every every highlight package, they will say they will show the knee. Every every game, Sky yeah. the same. Every highlight package, they will show the knee and they will make a comment about uh, the, you know, eradicating racism. Yeah. Blah blah blah. It's the right thing to do. Have Sky, have the BBC, have Talksport, have any of these broadcasting companies employed more black staff? During this time, have they changed their policies to get more black people in? Are there are, are social media taking uh, abuse of black players more seriously? Are people being arrested for abusing black players on on social media? Are black candidates getting interviewed for manager jobs? No, nothing. Nothing practical is changing. This has been going on since June, and um, initially it was a wonderful, powerful job. The first day back, it was it was. It was brilliant. It was uh, actually brought tears to my eyes. It was fantastic. It's it's fast becoming an empty gesture. It clearly is because the people that are highlighting it are doing nothing about the issues. And, and it's, you know, it's like PVA sent that when he missed the chance against Man United. PVA publicised some of the tweets that he got. Yeah, horrible, horrible tweets. So taking the knees, not changing that. And I think I think you probably need to, to you know, Wilf refusing to take the knee makes it sound like he's doing something unacceptable. And I, I think that needs to change. Yeah. And it, 
oddly, his him standing during the taking the knee was just as powerful a gesture as other players take the knee. But I, I, I've got a sneaking suspicion that by the time crowds are back in, the Premier League will say, well, it's had, it's, it's done its job. We've we've drawn attention to it. Let's start with a clean slate. Everybody, referee blows the whistle, game starts. Because they are genuinely worried about how it's going to look yeah. around the world if you've got people as you had in a couple of the games when you know we saw it at Millwall when there's only a thousand people left in mm. it's not a good look for the Premier League if people are watching in in Malaysia or Australia and a, a sizable proportion of the crowd are booing and taking the knee so I don't think it will be happening when for maybe the first game back they'll do it but after that I think it will be quietly dropped and you know I think you will put in top perfect time to do it and as as Jack said, I wish more people were aware of what people like Wilf do yeah. in our community, for their community. And then it wouldn't be an issue, but it, it, it will be an issue. And hats off to Wilf for, for that's, it would sound like a bad pun, but for standing up to it. Well, Matt, as, as oldest buddy computer has said, they've, they've called it a brave stance, which is absolutely the right way to say it. You know, Kevin says some people are framing it as they're refusing to take the knee. And the thing about Wilf is uh, he gets so much stick from opposition fans for the way he is on the pitch. But off the pitch, I think he's got the most integrity of any footballer that I think I've ever met. He, he's a man of his word. He said he would do this. He stuck to it. And, and he is someone that really, truly believes in the things he believes in. And uh, as Jack says, I, I've got so much respect for that. And very proud that this is a Crystal Palace player that is doing this as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's um, one of those things that, Matt, that I think uh, I hope that most listeners and Palace fans will, 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 will back Will for and be as proud of him as we are. Agreed. Agreed. Um, fully back back his decision to do that. Um, <clears throat> ultimately, I think Kevin's right about the, the narrative behind it is Wilf refused to do something that everybody else is doing. Well, that's not strictly true. That was his decision. It's always been a decision-based. Um, and it's always been the whole point of taking the knee is to highlight the fact that this is just not right. Like racism is just the, the it's the most abhorrent thing um, on the planet, in my opinion. I cannot stand it. And Kevin's point about the Premier League being nervous about it is understandable, um, because as unfortunately there are there are some people who go to football matches who do have those views. They this this, this it raises the question about as a society we can do we can do more about this so i think i think the whole taking the knee and the, the standing up um as as wolf has just done it, ra- it raises the questions that there are things that can be done are the people in the power in power who can make make sizable change are they doing it you, you look at kind of what they're doing are are the social media companies taking the necessary steps to do this are they are they actually going to do these sort of things and right now they're not it's very, very clear um, that they're not, because regardless of what happens, we're going to see this. And it's not just a football problem. It's a wider societal problem um, as well. It's just the football is um, one of the uh, one of the biggest platforms in which this is being raised. Um, I'm very, very happy that it's being raised and we are raising awareness that we that we should stamp out racism because it's just crazy um i think this does differ this does differ as well matt from someone like lyle taylor at nottingham forest saying mm. he's not doing it and he he kind of conflates it with the issue of black lives matter um you know politically he, yeah. he didn't agree necessarily with with that mm. with wilf he's simply commenting about the particular issue of kneeling not being you know a valid enough 
you know, yeah. uh, offering anymore. And it's it's he he's made no comment whatsoever that you know uh, not more needs to be done, and um, and that he's fully willing to to continue to support it. Um, but that that's something I took pride in that you know he he wasn't commenting politically; he was commenting literally about almost how they how they do it. Agreed. I thought that was really important. Yeah, mm. totally agreed. Totally agreed. Absolutely. Well, um, good on Will f- for doing that. You know, he he gives us a lot of reasons to be very proud of him as a footballer and as a person, and this is another yeah. one of them. Um, yeah. Let's move on really quickly, Kevin. One more question. One word answer, please. And it's from Ian Matthews. And it says, has Kevin's piece of paper been ripped up now? Yes. Hey, there we go. I, I, I actually hey. selected I selected the piece of paper. I didn't get around to writing it, but the piece of paper that I was going to write that has it's gone, and we don't need it. It's... That fills me with so much confidence, Kevin. Thank you. Well, there you go. That's that's what we want to hear. Dread. Now I'm concerned. Now, <laughs> yeah, now, 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 do you know what? I kind of miss it a little bit, though. You know, we talk about Roy being the safety blanket. I kind of miss not having that in my top because I used to like going. Oh, right, somebody Newcastle lost. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, uh, I just so I mean I can't wait for that Newcastle Brighton game next week. It's going to be fun, and then and then Fulham Newcastle on the last day. So if, we have to thank Newcastle by the way because if we get to see Palace play against Arsenal, it will be because Newcastle kicked up such a fuss with the Premier League about them having to play against Fulham with a crowd in that the Premier League kind of went, all right, we bet everybody better get a chance to play to, to see their team then. So, but how, how, Kevin, how scared could they be if Hugh Grant drinking Sauvignon Blanc in the stand? I mean, honestly, what's not the you, scariest you know, prospect? Well, I've seen Hugh Grant drinking Sauvignon Get one, one bottle too many and he can go. But to be perfect, <laughs> he's, ruined, he's ruined many a soiree, Jack. Totally. Really, that whole, apparently the whole filming of Paddington 2 was a mess. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, but finally, 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 Steve Bruce. Uh, finally, Steve Bruce has done Palace a favour. Finally, <laughs> yeah. hopefully, hopefully, twenty years. Be, it's only been twenty years. years. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks, hopefully, Steve. there will be there will be six and a half thousand Palace fans. I tell you what, if just if, I, I was talking to Steph from Proud and Palace about this the other day. Just even if you don't get a ticket for the game, just to be able to go to the Portsons and watch that game on telly and wave off the lucky few who've got yeah. tickets. What yeah. what, a, what a thing to look forward to. Uh, yeah. We won't, yeah, unless of course we need three points. Uh, in which it's going to be fine. The paper's it's ripped fine. up. The paper's gone. It's, it's yeah, we're good. fine. We're, we are fine. It's, we're fine. Last four seasons, last four seasons, people stayed up with thirty-four points. Yeah, three times of thirty-five points. We're yeah. fine. Thirty-seven has been more than enough for yeah, for yeah. a while. So we'll be good. I think that's a nice positive part to end uh, this podcast on. So I uh, thank you, Matt, for coming on. Solid pod debut. I'll give it well a round on, of applause. Thank you, well, well done, Matt. Thank, thank you, thank you thank very you. much, and uh, <laughs> thank you very much for your support via Patreon as well. We we do we really appreciate it. Uh, and let's thank uh, Jack. Good Thank to have you. you. Yeah, off back to the garage now. So cheers for that. That's a nice break. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, Kevin, as ever, always good to have you on. But yeah, I'd, I'd say Matt's uh, performance was more was more than solid. But then I'm, I'm <laughs> the arm around the shoulder man. You're the yeah. you're the give him a bollocking man. But yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the Sammy Lee to my my Sam Allardyce. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate that, Kevin. Thank you, mate. Um, I, I appreciate a good arm around the shoulder, especially if there's a pint nearby as well. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you, um, thank you so much, guys. Um, it's an absolute pleasure, um, and thank you for all you got, all you guys have done um, for the pod, um, for, especially throughout this lockdown period. For me personally, it's been one of those being part of that WhatsApp club, uh, being that was a massive, massive help through this entire just whatever, whatever this past, oh. however long this has been. Um, and I think I I share I share a lot of people's um, 
uh, viewpoint saying this this has helped massively uh, throughout a crazy uh, crazy crazy period um, and even more and and all the dull performances that we've had uh, especially recently <laughs> this is a kind of a shining point on it so thank you thank you guys it's, it's an absolute pleasure oh top man thank you very much that is that's lovely to hear and they're, they're a good bunch in the whatsapp group they're uh, yeah. they're a really good bunch indeed uh, yeah well yeah. You, you are you you yeah. Well, we'll talk about it off air. Um, anyway, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, have a great week and have a great couple of weeks. Um, we'll be back. We're going to do a few filler pods in the next few weeks, so keep an eye out for that. But in the meantime, stay safe and we'll see you again soon. Goodbye. Podcast Network.